just this, this congregation that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive a message directly from you. And I would ask that you empty me totally of myself and that you flow through me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our text today is going to start at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 7. So we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Courtesy of Smokey and the Bandit. Old movie, y'all. <laughs> so on your electronic devices or your Bibles, and say amen when you get there. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God, God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <gasps> I have to take a deep breath after that one. So God made a promise to Abraham. Uh, if you want to look this up in, in your Bible later, that was in Genesis chapter 14. Well, the part where he meets Melchizedek is in Genesis 14. And what had happened was uh, Abraham had gone and conquered, I'm getting way ahead, had conquered these uh, bad guy kings, to put it in spiritual terms. They were bad guy kings and whooped them thoroughly. And he left there and he went to meet Melchizedek. Y'all, let me tell you something. This is really hard to do this. I've spent over a week reading this scripture and studying it and listening to other preachers and looking at commentaries. And so what I have is this massive download into my brain. And then it's swirling around like a tornado in my head with the Holy Spirit saying, do this and do that. And y'all just pray with me and bear with me if I get out of order or miss a point or something. Because I'm not a trained preacher. <laughs> so, so give me a little grace. God made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to start at the beginning again. And what was the promise? He promised that the whole world would be blessed through him, that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach, which is a lot. And at this time, Abraham was already getting a little bit old, was he not? When I say was he not, y'all say amen. That means you believe me or believe what this says. And so Abraham, on up in years, God says, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And... Abraham believed him and had faith in him and did not, did not question God. Now, it's been my experience that I question God. It's been my experience. I pray for things, and I find that I'm wondering, God, do you really hear my prayers? Am I the only one? Uh, because we, we're a people of immediate gratification, especially nowadays. We can... You know, get instant meals, instant TV on demand. We don't have to go to the picture show anymore. That's the movies for you younger people that don't know what a picture show is. Um, 
But when we're asked to pray for weird things sometimes, aren't we? Like, pray that I pass this test. I've had young people, older people say, would you, Bill, pray for me that I pass this test? And I'm thinking, maybe you should study for that test. Because there's, there's some weird things that we ask people to pray for. And we ask people to pray for us, and sometimes it's in what we would call a priestly way, where, where the guy that you ask to pray or the woman you ask to pray is interceding on your behalf to God. Now, that's okay, but this whole section here today is based on the fact that we don't need somebody to intercede for us, that we have direct access to God because of Jesus Christ. We do not need somebody else to speak for us to God on our behalf. We can go straight to the source of all power. You with me on that? And so God made this promise to Abraham, and he made it, and he, and he verified the promise. He guaranteed the promise by swearing on the highest thing he could think of, which would be himself. Now, back, I had to look this up, this next little part, because... In 1977, there was a guy named George Burns. He was, a, he was a comedian. He was an actor. He was all kinds of weird things. And, and he died at 100 years of age in 1996. But in 1977, he was 81 years old, and he starred in a movie called Oh God. And in that movie, George Burns plays the person of God. And all I remember about the movie was he's sitting in the courtroom and they asked, the bailiff said, do you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? And George Burns says, so help me me. Because that's just the highest swearing that you can do. It's the highest oath you can make. Because we know, we believe that God's character is that he does not lie. He cannot lie. And so when he swears by himself, it's a done deal. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie... We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Anybody know what the hope set before us was or is? The hope set before us has got a name, and his name is Jesus. That's right. So let's continue on chapter 7, verse 1. So for this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the bad guy kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Okay, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is, uh, translates to king of peace or king of righteousness. It also is the root word for shalom, Jewish, the Hebrew word for peace and prosperity and all that. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Salem was also the town of Jerusalem, before it was Jerusalem. And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter, and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth part of everything, all the spoils of the war. Now, we know today from being raised up in the church house that a tenth is the tithe, and that's what we're taught is, is to, to give to the church. What the tithe actually represents is is a representation of who owns everything. When I give my 10% tithe, I'm saying, God, I'm just, everything I own is yours. Everything I have is yours, and I'm returning to you this tenth of part to represent that you own all my stuff. 
That's weird, but that's, that's, what, that's what it means. When we give our tithe, we're saying to God, God, I surrender it all. It's all yours. And he's letting me use that other bit, that other nine-tenths, nine to be a good steward of it, but to further his kingdom, to feed my family, and to do the things that we need to do to carry on life. But it's my recognition that God is the source, not me. He is first by translation, this is verse, second half of verse 2, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, I already said that, and he's also the king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He's without father and mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. So what we have here is we have a comparison, we have a, a type, we have a resemblance in Melchizedek of what Jesus Christ is. First it says that he is without father or mother or genealogy. In the book of Genesis we read, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they begat them, and they begat them, and they begat them. Anybody got lost in the begats? The begats will get you lost. It begat, it begat, it begat. And so there's nothing in there about Melchizedek. He's just not there. And it doesn't say why, it just says there's, there's no record of who begat him or who he may have begotten. You can get caught up in saying begat and lose your voice pretty easily. Uh, beginning of days or end of life, so we don't know when he was born, when he... When he died, it never says, but he resembles the Son of God as he continues as a priest forever. Verse 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. Okay, this gets really confusing. Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek. This is before Moses and before the law and before Aaron, before the 12 tribes. This is before the 11 tribes received property and goods. And then the 12th tribe, the tribe of the Levites, who were started from Aaron, they were there to act as the priests for the people. So what do we need a priest for? Somebody to make intercession to absolve us from our guilt and from our shame. And where do we get our guilt and our shame? We get it from the law, and that's going to be covered here, I think, pretty soon. Like I said, there's a tornado going on in my brain right now. So let's proceed. Verse 6, But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Let's go on. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments and the 600-something other laws that were passed down to the Hebrew people. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? 
For when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses uh, said nothing about priests. Okay, here's what we got. Starting at Moses, they make, the, they make the law, they got the tribe for the priest are. The priest received the sacrifices from the people on, for their sins. A priest has to be one appointed, first has to be a man, he has to be appointed by God. He has to understand sin, he has to have felt sin or experienced sin. And, and there was one other thing, I can't remember it. But Jesus fulfills all those things, but only the priests were allowed to go into the temple. Only the priests were allowed to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. But we have this, uh, this section in the Bible where it talks about Melchizedek and the order of Melchizedek. And he's mentioned three places. Genesis 14, where we've talked about where he meets Abraham. Psalms 110, where we're going to get to in just a minute, where David is writing a psalm and referring to him. And here in Hebrews. So Moses, at the direction of God, apportions out all the land to the 12 tribes, but Aaron's tribe, the Levites, don't get one. So the people bring their tithes to them. And it's their job to receive the sacrifices and do the thing with the, with the cutting and the fire and the bleeding and the eating and the feasting and all that. The thing about the priests of the Levites, the Levitical priests, they could only serve until they were, I think, 50 years old or sometimes they died and then somebody else came along. There was no continuity there's always another sacrifice that has to be made. There's always one more thing. There was no permanency of redemption from sin by the sacrifice of animals. The sacrificial system was designed from the get-go to be temporary. And it was temporary because the permanent solution to sin, to shame, to guilt is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Y'all with me on that? I'm telling you, this is, this is hard stuff to read, and this is hard stuff to, to get together. Uh, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent. So all the priests had to be descended from the Le Levite tribe. You had to be born into priesthood. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't, you know, Writing your nine-year schedule or your four-year schedule in high school, seeing what you're going to be in the next four years, what classes you took. You can't say, well, I'm going to skip from this tribe. I'm going to be a priest when I grow up. That was not an option. Who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, they're talking about Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what do we know about Melchizedek? There's no record of him being born or die. There's no genealogy. Jesus, we have a perfect record of his genealogy, but he was a virgin birth, so he does not have an earthly father, genetically speaking. In the virgin birth, then he was crucified on the cross and rose again, the only one that's ever done that. His beginning was before time. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. 
He is the priest forever along this order of Melchizedek. I am so not explaining this right because it's really, really tricky. But David knows in Psalms 110, some 2,000 years, 1,000 years after Abraham, and then however long it takes up to Hebrews. And the way the Holy Spirit combines this whole history and text and the prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecies is it's mind-blowing. I mean, my brain's about to explode. Verse 18, for on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. But the bottom line is the law just exposed where we sin. The law showed us where we failed. The law brought shame and guilt. And we can make the sacrifice and we can do okay until time for the next sacrifice. And so where's the joy in living if no matter what you do, you're back in the same place over and over and over again? Man, it's terrible. But what we have in the person of Jesus Christ, who knew what was going to happen you know, before he ever was born, lived the perfect life, took all of our sins upon us on the cross, which we talked about the other day, was crucified, buried, and rose again, and now sits forever at the right hand of God. So he becomes the ultimate sacrifice. He's both the priest and the sacrifice. And we trust in him because he lives now. Jesus is the only God of any of the made up, you know, all the gods that people worship in the world. Jesus is the only one that died and is still alive. Nobody can take that from us. He sits alive at the right hand of the Father and makes he makes intercession. He is the high priest that is the go-between us and God. One of the illustrations I used to use, we're Christians, we're saved, we're covered by the blood, and we mess up. I mess up. And the devil knows I messed up. So I die, and I go before the judgment seat of Christ. And the devil's standing there. He's my accuser. He's the prosecuting attorney. And he said, here's Bill Sweeney. He's, he did this, and then he did that, and then he did that. And he's telling God, saying, Bill did this. And, and my list of sins is pretty long. And he's trying to tick him off. And then God looks over at Jesus, and he said, he's one of mine. He's covered by the blood. Those don't count. He has taken all my sins upon himself, covered it with his blood so that God does not see them, which gives me direct fellowship with God. Because and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the thing about salvation, my salvation, my, my once saved, always saved, does not depend on me always being faithful to God. Let me repeat that. It doesn't mean that I'm doing perfect and good every day. It depends on God never letting go of me. And that's the promise he made. God never lets go. And that's the beauty of it, because I mess up so many times, and, and not as much as, you know, and not in the big ways I used to, but in small ways and simple ways, we, we, all, we all fall short. And what are we called to do when we fall short? You know, we repent, we turn from it, we say, I, you know, I realize that was wrong, and I ask God for forgiveness. And if I've harmed somebody... 
whether on purpose or not, when I realize that I have done harm to somebody, my job is to ask God for forgiveness, but then to go to that person and say, hey, what I did was wrong. What can I do to make that right? That's Saying sorry really doesn't do, any, do us any good. Everybody said they're sorry, but without any consequences to your actions, it means nothing. But when I harm a brother or a sister, my wife's usually the one I mess up with, and the list of things I do to amend is pretty big. Uh, <laughs> but that was wrong. I recognize what I did hurt you. I recognize that what I said was harmful. And I don't mean to be that way. And, you know, the old story was the devil made me do it. And the devil kind of does. But what I have to do is realize when I've done harm and ask forgiveness both from God and from her and be willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. That's a real key part of forgiveness. Shall we proceed? Let's run that last verse by. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Because of Jesus' perfection, because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, I can go straight to the Father. I don't have to walk and wallow in my guilt and shame anymore. Once I make the statement, I've done wrong, I've I've recognized that with God. I've reconciled that with God, and I'm reconciling that with you. Now, here comes the tricky part. I am absolved. Jesus has covered that by the blood. But if the person I harmed does not receive that apology, that, that thing, and continues to, to carry the, the hurt of what I did, guess, guess who that's on? It's not on me anymore because I've done, I've cleaned my side of the street, so to speak. And it's up to the person that I harm to receive the apology. And then when they do that, then both of us are free. See, we create our own bondage. Y'all know that? We're all, we're all in bondage to something. And some of us, you know, it might be drugs and alcohol. Some of it's sex. Some of it's rock and roll. Uh, some of it is gossip, some of it is overeating, some of it's undereating, some of it's, you know, there, there's people that are addicted to chapstick for, for the love, believe it or not. And, but sometimes we're addicted to holding on to grudges, sometimes we're addicted to our anger, sometimes we're addicted, you know, we're, we're all tore up from the floor up in some regard. And we can all get free, but sometimes our we like to carry our baggage with us. Y'all know what I mean? You know, I'm gonna, God, I'm going to surrender this part of my life to you. I'm going to surrender my wife to you. I'm going to surrender my kids to you. I'm going to surrender my job to you. I'm going to surrender my, my boat to you. I'm going to surrender my dog to you. But I'm not going to surrender this mad I've got since the third grade against the teacher that said that I would never amount to anything. Or I'm not going to surrender this fear I have of whatever we all have fears and and fear is something that we've not surrendered to God fear is something we're not trusted God with fear is not something that we it's 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 all about what we let go of we can let if we let go of everything and receive Jesus we have as much kingdom power in us as we have Jesus in us 
That's, I think that's a valid statement. The more we let Jesus in, like the song we sing, from, and we grow from the inside out, the more kingdom power we have. And that sounds kind of Pentecostal, maybe, but, but when I talk about kingdom power, I'm talking about the, the fruits of the Spirit that it talks about, where we have the peace and the joy and the long-suffering and the love. Now, the whole focus of, of relationship with Jesus, the, to, the total major, if we leave here with nothing else, the thing that we need to realize, if we are Christians, what we are known is, we are known by, is love. We've got to love our families. We've got to love each other. We've got to demonstrate love when, to the unlovable. Lord knows I've been unlovable sometimes. You can ask that woman back there. We have to, I mean, all of Jesus' commands were about love. And Paul said the greatest of these is love. I was talking to, I'm off book and that's okay. Uh, I have coffee every week with a, with a, I won't say a young man, but a, young, a man younger than I am who's going through some issues, and we had a pretty deep conversation yesterday, and we were talking about discernment. And so the, close, the more I, I draw to, to Christ, the more I draw to Jesus, the more the spirit of discernment should affect me. So when I set out to do something, and it's, it's something that's not right or something that's not going to be beneficial for everybody, my spirit of discernment should say, if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. You know. And then the sinful part of me before discernment was said, I'm just going to do that and not worry about the trouble. But uh, as I grow and get deeper, I recognize the thought pattern that goes to saying it's not just something that I'll get in trouble, but saying that or doing that could cause harm to somebody. It could not necessarily hurt feelings, but it could cause hard feelings between me and them or them and somebody else. When we're supposed to be building each other up and loving one another, sometimes we say hurtful things. Or sometimes we say something that, that gets taken out of context or, or is not understood clearly. Or sometimes Here's what I do. I say something that I haven't thought through. And the consequences of that, you know, can start a ball rolling that's, that's not good. And it's such a simple thing. And the devil tells us it's okay. It'll be all right. You're just human. Yes, I am just human. But I, I'm a human that has asked Jesus into my heart. And I've asked him to change me from the inside out. And yes, he has changed me from the inside out. But I am so a work in process. Guys, if you knew how thrown off I was just not long ago, you'd be you know, standing, oh, man, good job, Jesus. Look at him. He was really bad off. That was really funny, y'all. Slow group. <laughs> got to lighten it up. You know, we got to laugh at ourselves. We, we are so serious. We... We put value in things like the, like the Hebrew people. They had the value in the law. The law is this. The law is that. You know, you, know, you, can't, you, know, you can't pick a kernel of wheat on the way somewhere on, on the Sabbath day. You can't, 
you know, tie your fish hook on on Sabbath day. If you catch the fish, you can't reel them in because that's too much like work. You know, they split the hairs of the law. They just, they just made it impossible. They made it impossible to obey. And Jesus comes in and he says, I am the way. It's not these rules because nobody can follow these rules. But my way is easy. All you got to do is love me and do what I do. And I wish I could do that all the time. And I pray that God teaches me to do that more and more and more. And y'all, I hate having to, you know, I don't like to use the word hate very much, but I really do. I hate coming up here and being, saying some of these things because they're deeply personal. But I think if, if I don't do it, you won't do it. Because I've got to be totally honest with myself and before God. If I can't be honest with myself and before God, I cannot be honest with anybody. It's got to start here with this relationship between me and Jesus. And then after I get that going pretty good, then I can, I can grow that relationship of love and trust to me and my wife. And I've told you all how it took me quite a while to regain trust from her after the wreckage of my past. And speaking of that wreckage, this is July the 3rd, 4th, 5th, Tuesday will be my 16th year without a drink of alcohol. <laughs> By the grace of God. Because that journey started with, God help me, I can't do it. By myself. And it was a total surrender. And what we don't realize is this total surrender, while it sounds hard and it kind of is, the freedom from the chains of bondage that I put on myself, that you put on yourself, is unbelievable. And if you haven't experienced any of the freedom that comes from the trust in Jesus and from the confession, the repentance, and the what can I do to get that right, and the what can I do to get that right is to love one another, to love y'all to love my wife, to love my family, to love you people, to love the people I don't know out there. And it ain't easy because some days I wake up with a grouch. Am I the only one? I guess I am. <laughs> I feel so bad now. <laughs> so, verse 20, and it was... Oh, good. And it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests. I'm in verse 20, in case I didn't say it. Were made each without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That's from Psalms 110, where God swore an oath. Talking about Jesus. You are a priest forever. We don't need these priests. We don't need these preachers. We don't need these whatever you want to call them. We don't need these people to make intercession for us. Jesus will never die. He is who intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Psalms 110 is where that is, if you all want to look it up. Uh, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The old covenant didn't work. It was temporary. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus works. Bless God and thank you, God. 
The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Anybody know what forever is in, in the other language, in Hebrew? What it means? It means forever. Like from now on, forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed, a fit, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. This is Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. One of the cool things, I had to read the story about Melchizedek over in Genesis 14, trying to get, put some uh, organization in the tornado of information going on, on in my head, and I hope I haven't messed it up totally for you. But when Abraham met Melchizedek, you know, this text talked about Melchizedek blessing him. And the blessing goes from the superior to the lesser. And Abraham received the blessing. But in the blessing, y'all know what he used? Anybody look back and see? Bread and wine. Which is what we're about to take part of today. And Al will be up here in a few minutes to introduce that. We're about finished, but the, the bottom line of today's text and scripture is, is the old ways no more. We're not in a check-the-box church. We're not check-the-box Christians. We're committed Christians. And the way you know that you're a Christian, I mean, not necessarily committed, is by the love that you have in your heart that you didn't have before you had Jesus. If you're able to love somebody Love comes from God. Love comes from Jesus. And if you have the desire to love and to serve, which is not normal, that's one of the signs that, that you're a Christian. They will know by my love. Jesus has said that. Is it easy? No. Because sometimes we don't want to love somebody. Sometimes we don't want to love them because they look different than us. Sometimes we don't want to love them because they speak differently than us. There are all kinds of excuses that we use to not love somebody. And the whole thing is, is God so loved us that he sent Jesus no matter, no matter what. And I think to myself, who am I to not love somebody because of whatever superficial reason? It said God looks into the heart. He doesn't judge us on the outside. He looks to what's in here. And so what my prayer should be is, is God, let me look through your eyes into the hearts. Help me to love See what you see. Let me love like you love. And honestly, some people aren't that lovable. 
And so those, we really need to redouble up on the prayer. Redouble up on the prayer? Who says that? We need to double up on the prayer. God, let me see through your eyes. Give, teach me to love. Show me your compassion. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom. And then James says, if you ask for wisdom, he gives it to us freely. I mean, too often, often we pray for stupid things like patience. Anybody's got kids? Anybody's prayed for patience? That's the one that's laughing right there. Because if you pray for patience, you will get tested on it. And that is not a test I'd recommend anyone take. I'm just saying, I've, I've prayed it and I was tested. Oh, I thought I was going to get the sweat from the garden like Jesus did. The bloody sweat. Don't pray for patience. Pray for wisdom. I ain't kidding. I'm throwing it off, but pray for, pray for wisdom and pray for discernment. And pray to see others with the eyes of Jesus. Man, if we do that, the sky's the limit. Heaven's the limit. And there's no limit in heaven. I'm praying and I'm hoping. I haven't looked at next week's text yet because this was enough that it's easier to teach than this one. I'm just being honest, y'all. This was not easy. I was ready to trade with Tyler. I could, you know, I don't, I can't do the announcements. I get tongue-tied and scared. <laughs> but I'll come up here and I'll break this open because it's not me. It's coming straight from God. And I really want to thank you guys for your prayers and thank you for we got a lot of people out today. Some are traveling, some are sick, and we want to remember those that, that are down. The COVID's coming around again, and it's, it's hit some of our people. Some have had it in the last week or 10 days, and they're already over it. Some late bloomers, you know, caught it in the middle or later, and, and they've got it. We've got to wait a few days for them. But let's continue to pray for one another, you know, the, the, the healing power. You know, God is the healer. He's the, he's the, he's the great physician. And that we, that we pray for healing, we pray for discernment, we pray for wisdom, and we pray for love to one another. So, I'm sure Josh, hey, it's time, man. <laughs> Y'all assume the praise positions. Cops will get that one. We're going to have just a time of, of prayer, and, and if you guys want to come up here to the back and have somebody pray with you, that, that's cool. If you want to just pray in your seats for a little while, that's good too. But pray, don't pray for patience. I might get in trouble with Jesus about that, but you know, that's between me and him, not y'all. He may tell me next week for y'all to pray for patience. I'm saying pray for wisdom, pray for discernment, pray for love. Because if we have love, we've got it all. So praise team.